Welcome to Brain Mills Podcast. My name is Dash McIntyre. My name is Adrian Polk. And we were thinking about starting today about the protest. Obviously something uh, that has been a long time coming. Um, all of the times that there are not um, protests about police brutality, um, it's kind of deserved that non-violence is kind of like an extension of the hand and a handshake to the police. But black people are constantly dying from brutality and just blatant murder. So, um, you know, if anything, the only surprise here is that we don't have these giant riots more regularly. What do you think? Well, yeah. So, I mean, this is one of those really complicated issues that there's so many different facets to it, right? And you, you really lose all sort, uh, all sense of nuance between every little group of politics that, you know, weighs in. I mean, everyone's seen that in their social media. You have the, the right-wing people who say, you know, cops are not to blame here. Maybe there's one bad cop, which is a ludicrous idea to think that there's one bad cop in one city police yeah. department. But uh, it's important to know, too, that for every one cop who does crazy stuff and then there's maybe four police officers around that see it, you don't have one bad cop. You now have five bad cops. They saw an injustice and did not intervene or stop or protect the... Uh, the people they're sworn to protect and serve. Well, it's probably more than three, too, because a cop can't... I mean, I don't know this for sure, uh, but I know in the military, like, you can't just shoot off a bunch of rounds and not report it. You know, you can't come back to the station with, with no ammo anymore. People, you know, people might <laughs> right. question where it went, like, you know, or at least, hey, are you, like, stealing that or something? Um, but the point is, like, it's more than three bad cops who see it and don't say anything because there have to be some kind of supervisor above at the station who hears about it knows about it i mean they make i mean there can't be a guy dead in the streets with people with cameras without another person other than the three around the cop finding out right so i mean you have a whole litany of of problems and, and then you know didn't amy klobuchar come under fire a little bit because she had purposely not tried to prosecute that cop before um, which is another whole kind of issue of um, nuance you kind of have to think about because like our state prosecutors also part of the problem because maybe they give cops too much benefit of the doubt, perhaps, and you could probably argue so. On the other hand is that, you know, think of everything a state prosecutor has to do and all the cases that come before them and maybe comparatively uh, a couple cops here and there doing some things that might look questionable um, maybe they just kind of sweep that under the rug, which is also wrong too. But, you know, then you have the more blatant examples like this one, right? The fact that the cop wasn't arrested immediately. It had been three or four days after yeah. the, the killing that nothing had happened to him. So well, there's I mean, a lot of systemic problems because there's whole police yeah. unions that exist. And mm -hmm. the, they don't really do anything like unions typically do for like wages and benefits. But their whole intent is to stop police officers from facing any kind of justice for their actions. And they have like all these training regimens to basically, you know, what you need to do to get off on any jury, you know, no matter who you kill and for what reason. But uh, I mean, if, if I will say that this one does seem different because a lot of white people I went to high school with are commenting very supportive things of the protests that are kind of surprising. So, I mean, this protest definitely has really shaken the national, maybe uh, awakened us a little bit. Um, but I mean, just imagine like you're on the ground for eight minutes saying, I can't breathe. And a police officer is just sitting there and three other officers are just listening to you scream that you can't breathe and you're dying. And then you die. Yeah, right. And this is something uh... that black people have to think about every day when they go mm -hmm. out or every time they get pulled over from a cop. 
Um, I think that this really is awakening white people that, holy crap, this is really, really bad. And this is unconscious, unconscionable. Is that the word? Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's even worse than that, too, because then you I mean, I think of this from a mil- military perspective. I've stood watch with, you know, a loaded weapon and I've been trained in, you know, the force continuum. So I don't understand how cops are trained so inadequately that, you know, they end up using deadly force at all. For example, um, if you have a guy who has no means of hurting you, like you really don't even have the right to even hurt him, let alone kill him, right? So, like, was Floyd laying on the ground really resisting? No. Well, then do you need your knee on his neck? No. You know what I mean? Um, So the whole, like, the training of cops should just be in question, too. Um, I mean, I've said it once, and I've said it a hundred times before. Like, I've been in the Middle East in another country with, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids standing armed watches in Middle Eastern countries who have more poise and self-control than a cop in Minneapolis, which which surely seems pretty strange, right? right. The fact that the, the amount of training they have and their their lack of just using force on any any conceivable, I guess, opportunity, you know, what does that tell you about cops and, and their training? It's pretty bad. Right, yeah. Um, I, I saw somewhere that like tear gas is not allowed. Is that true that tear gas is not used by the military? Because I mean, at a certain point, it's kind of like chemical warfare, I guess. But I don't know if it's true or not. But I've seen posts about that talking about how like police here use all this tear gas and will come up and just mace people in the face. You know, you see <laughs> video footage of that of cops literally just well, mace you know, pulling is allowed. Someone's... Yeah, mace, mace is, is allowed. Is tear gas every... or whatever. At least in my experience, I don't know about like the other branches, but in the Navy, every sailor on a ship has to be maced and I've been maced and like, yeah, it sucks. And that's part of our training. But like the intent of that training is that like, so you understand uh, like what you're doing to people if you were to mace them. So when you see these cops just wantonly macing people in the face or an entire crowd in the face, like, you know, that's pretty strange given what I would hope their training would be too. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> there, I mean, the whole training of cops should be kind of in question with all this. It makes no sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, um, I will know. Um, like, uh, I've been hearing for, that in Greece, you know, and poli- like police have to actually really kind of train for it. It's kind of like their school system where you're kind of like on different paths, you know, or different levels or tiers of kind of employment. And police is one of the higher ones where you really have to be like testing well throughout like middle school and high school and stuff and have good grades to go into that profession. Whereas here in America, it's like six months that you can go into. And, uh, you know, I think we're always kind of like a lot of uh, police departments are kind of strained and understaffed. And, uh, you know, Chris Rock, the comedian, he had a or, yeah, somebody had a joke that, uh, you know, you get what you pay for, and clearly oh, we're getting sure. the police we pay for. Well, that's something I've thought a lot about the last couple of days, is how do you make police better? Because, um, I mean, police officers don't get paid a whole lot. I know some police officers actually, like, do, you know, a second job on the side of security somewhere, which is probably bad. The fact that their one source of income isn't enough. Um, So like a couple ways to fix that is like, I mean, the military had this problem after Vietnam, right? Uh, There was a lot of concerns when we went to an all volunteer force. There were people, especially in the the DOD and the government, who thought you couldn't have an American military fully staffed and employed 
of soldiers and sailors and airmen with you know without the draft and some economists just pointed out that you know there's a market force here for some people like if if like people do want to join the military and and maybe the money isn't worth the risk to them so if you increase wages a little bit or salaries of military personnel um, you'll get better people first and most importantly you'll get better people right you don't have to take people with ridiculous uh, violent criminal histories to go enlist in the right. army to avoid jail time uh, so what they did was they increased benefits and they increased you know base pay for military members and that's the only reason we have an all-volunteer force like with the pay that they had in Vietnam you wouldn't have gotten enough people or good enough people to really have the military that most Americans respect today right the military is still one of the most respected institutions in America and you know a lot of that is because we're a lot of military personnel are, are professionals and you know they get paid relatively well to do so I'm sure the same cannot be said of most cops, especially in some big cities. They probably don't get paid enough for the work they're doing. Um, and, you know, if they have second jobs anyway, I mean, what does that tell you about their pay? Um, that also puts more stress on them, right? If you have a bunch of cops who can barely make uh, ends meet, um, you're always worried about, like, money and their families, well, then you're not going to have a good cop patrolling the neighborhood. He's probably already going to be on edge. So I think that's one issue is if if local governments paid cops more they would get better applicants no doubt right i mean that's just common sense if the benefits were better too so then you can weed out some of the bad people i mean i don't know what extent they do psychological testing but like everybody knows that kid in school and <laughs> in grade yeah. school who said i want to be a cop so i can shoot people and you know you hope that that kid didn't actually grow up to become a cop <laughs> but you yeah. know maybe some of them do um so that's kind of bad uh, what about you? Yeah. you? Do you have any other uh, any uh, ideas on how you might fix well, the problem? I think, yeah, there? I mean, fundamentally, I have been uh, uh, happy that there there is kind of a push in a lot of these protests to find some concrete things that um, like are actionable that will have some level of success that you can get like local or state officials mm -hmm. to agree to, just to give these protests not like just just the uh, the legacy of violence, but okay, we actually did these like five or six changes or whatever to mm -hmm. like the way the policing happens. I know in Atlanta, uh, I believe the mayor of Atlanta is a black woman. I just listened to an interview with her. And so she was kind of suggesting to the protesters in Atlanta, like we need a concrete thing to achieve. And I also heard this other interview from somebody who's like an organization that has been studying um, some of these like uh, ex uh, these agreements that Obama and Eric Holder did in the Obama administration were kind of different cities or police departments can kind of opt into these different deals that they make with like their cities or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and like, a, this, you know, the results are actually not that great. And that like this guy in this interview, I wish I, you know, I should start writing down <laughs> what I watched and to be able to share it with the podcast. But um, he was basically saying that the results are kind of negligible because they narrowed it down to like seven or eight things that uh, police departments have to do. And that in all the police departments, the only like the marginal amount that were successful were the ones who did like all eight. And that if you only do some of these eight things, like there's still no marginal difference in the number mm -hmm. of like black kids that die from police, uh -huh. you know, and like just the brutality and stuff like that. And there are things like uh, one of the big ones was like having more black officers or just represent oh, for sure. uh, yeah. representatives of the community in the police force. But they were the the findings said that there was like a threshold of thirty five percent, where unless like thirty five percent of the police department uh, or the the police force becomes black, 
only then do you start getting those differences in outcome where black youths are like being killed less and less, you know, mm -hmm. um, which I mean, obviously that's, that's not really scalable for most police departments to get them up to 35% black just for them to be able to treat, you know, their black community members with dignity and respect. Yeah, that's weird. Um, that's actually a really good idea and interesting thing to, to think about. Uh, another one I, I, I thought of the other day was, um, you know, if you if a police officer is mission is to serve and protect and there's really no obligation for the city to employ them past their ability to actually do their job properly. So I had an idea that if you have a cop who has already done several questionable things, then like there's no obligation to keep them on the force, right? A cop doesn't have an doesn't have a right to be on the force for 20 years and get a pension. So, I mean, it, we have we have three strikes and you're out laws in every in, in a ton of states for like weed, right? If you get caught, especially like 20 years ago, if you got caught with weed or selling weed like three times, you might go to jail. Yeah, petty theft. So like, yeah. So like, if you're responsible for three suspicious deaths of civilians that you you know allegedly serve and protect, well then like, why do you get to stay on the force? There should be a you know three fuck ups and you're you're out. You know what I mean? If we do that to like pe like petty crimes and misdemeanors, why can a cop kill three people three individual times? or one person three separate times and stay on the force. Maybe you say, okay, well, maybe he's in the right on some of these. Maybe some are questionable. But either way, let's not risk it in case he is like a basket case. Yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting idea, the three strikes and you're out rule for police. Because that was yeah. a big thing in one of the podcasts I was listening to. They were talking about like the rate at which police officers who get fired from one police department just go to one like two towns down. You know, and yeah, some of these police officers will have like literally like records following them around of brutality at every job that they've had or whatever. And uh -huh. so one of the ideas is that we need some kind of like national database to keep track of police violence and brutality just to, you know, stop that from happening. I mean, that's a simple way to maybe save a lot of lives. <laughs> and it's so weird to be having this conversation of like, how can we can how could. What are ways that our society can get black people to stop being murdered by the police? You know, it's such a weird conversation to have to have. Well, you're, well you got to frame it right, because it's not what can we do to keep black people from being murdered? The real question is, what can we do to stop cops from murdering black people? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> a little, well, yeah, that's, slightly, that's what I meant. Slight yeah, nuance right. there. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, um, and I saw something. It's like the way you frame it can really kind of highlight the way you think about it, because like there's a difference between saying... Uh, I support the protesters, but, you know, this looting and rioting is uncalled for, you know, saying that versus I don't agree with looting, but these protesters sure have a point, you know, like there's a very big nuance between those two ways you frame that that sentence. And yeah, I think it's very a, important point, in the way yeah. Americans look at it, because when you say like, oh, but I, I hate the looting and pro like I support the protesting, but I hate the looting. It's like you're putting more emphasis on the looting, and therefore you really don't care too much about the protest because your biggest concern <laughs> is the looting. Yeah, and that is yeah, you definitely see that a lot. That's one thing that I really hate is just you get this immediate jump to like the camps that immediately when they're you know it's the same thing with the that guy what's his name Arbor uh, the Aubrey murder or whatever where people like pulled up video of him like three years ago shoplifting like being under suspicion of shoplifting mm -hmm. something from walmart and it's like well that that's why he has to die because you immediately went to you know 
to Facebook, oh, what's a way we can make him seem like a thug so we don't have to worry about, like, the fact that he got murdered, you know? Well, that, yeah, that's stupid, too, because, like, I, I would assume most people have probably, like, stolen something from someone else in their life before. Most people speed Walmart. from... <laughs> yeah, most people speed from time to time, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, you know, if you're at a gas station and you fill up your cup of soda and then sip it a couple times and then refill it, like, is that, like, a crime? <laughs> you know, yeah. even if someone calls the cops on you, is that, right. like, three years later justification for being a thug? Uh, it's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, what do you think Trump's going to do? Um, well, I think he's, he's kind of now. doing law and order and stuff. But well, I mean, yeah. That talk with the the governors was really interesting too, saying he needs to shut it down and stuff. And like the governors listened to him, but like the governors have been saying, like you know, you have to let the protest go. The protest is lawful; it makes sense. They have a point, and that like we shouldn't shut that down, but we do have an obligation to stop looting. And Trump says, no, no, no. You need the you need the military, and if you won't implement the national guard i'll put the military there you need to be strong because trump's always worried <laughs> trump's always worried about being strong even though he's a overweight strange weirdo who leans over to pretend he's taller than he is like didn't serve <laughs> yeah. didn't yeah basically took himself out of the running like trump wasn't drafted it's, and he probably wasn't going to be list. it's such a well, laundry yeah. list because yeah. like he, he like he picks flex off of Emmanuel Macron's shoulder to like bring him down at like NATO gatherings like he's such a strong man but he has to pretend to be like grooming the younger better looking stronger leader who got elected by higher margin that kind of thing like it's like anytime you make a laundry list of Trump's weird characteristics or personality traits it's just so uh it it's gonna be mined so richly by future filmmakers and artists you know to like delve into the personality that of donald trump that allows him to be the way he is well i saw something that the actor chris evans wrote like a year or two ago about how like trump's legacy is already sealed because all the people who've worked with him when trump leaves whether it's in 2021 or 2025 they're going to start writing about their experiences they're going to write books. They're going to talk. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like everything Trump has been doing, we're going to find out about. And, you know, I mean, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse because everything we see Trump do is bad. Imagine the things we don't see him do. It's not like Trump is some kind of enlightened philosopher, you know, ruler behind, you know, inside the White House doing all these great things that just no one sees and understands. Like everything Trump does in public is bad. We can only assume what we see, you know, what we don't see is probably worse and stupider. Yeah. Um, what do you think about the election? Do you think Trump is going to milk out these protests and all of this, like, these riots and unrest? Do you think he's trying to provoke them and make them worse? Because then it gives him more of, like, a law and order image to stand on. Well, um, it's like, think of the past presidents who've done that, right? Like, for example, Nixon in 1968 um he had he you know he started the dog whistle law and order thing um which you know for some not it wasn't racist for everybody some people do genuinely believe in that kind of thing but it is racist for some people and it's a a a shameful political ploy to try to get those votes in your favor but like that was nixon's first run you know in in 1972 when he was running for re-election he had a much happier uh campaign more optimistic because you can't be the law and order president when you're the incumbent, because doesn't that inherently imply you failed? 
Yeah. Like, if you're the law and order, is that like saying, oh, uh, man, my first four years were bad, but pro- I promise I'll, I'll clamp down if you reelect me. Right. And that's another thing, too, because uh, there was a fam- there was a really kind of, like, iconic image with the White House lights being turned out while Donald yeah. Trump was supposedly, like, underground in a bunker. Uh-huh. But then he kind of, like, turned that on its head by uh, before his speech yesterday where he gassed and... Uh, you know, had police kind of force protesters off the street so he could go to that church down the street, <laughs> and then that and then he posed with the, yeah, and then he posed with the Bible just in a photo op, and like everyone was commenting on Twitter that it's like you know he's never held a Bible before, like he doesn't know what to do with it. He's he's holding it up in like a kind of reverential way, but because Trump doesn't care at all about the Bible, it just looks so ridiculous. Uh, what did you think about that image? I mean, it's obviously just a ploy for, you know, his followers to think, oh, look, here's brave President Trump going out into the streets, you know, as if like he hadn't just had police, (laughs) you know, tear gas protesters out of the way. Well, I mean, it's just (laughs) I think I think I hope it'll be like a defining picture of the Trump presidency. I just wish there were like flames and smoke in the background. You know what I mean? <laughs> it might be worth for the Biden campaign to Photoshop a picture and make that their like the headlining picture of all their <laughs> their emails and stuff. But like, um, I mean, that is the Trump administration. It's just a joke. Like he went to a church without even telling the church people who don't even agree with Trump. Right. That the, the leaders of that church pretty much criticize uh, Trump for being the complete opposite of Jesus Christ and what Jesus yeah. had to do. So, yeah. like, the whole thing was a political ploy from start. I mean, has anyone ever seen Trump in a church other than for, like, political photo op pictures? Has anyone seen Trump physically read a Bible? Right. Um, have you ever talked... Has anyone heard Trump talk about, like, his love for Christian scripture? Like, <laughs> no. Like, Donald Trump is, like, the embodiment of all seven deadly sins in one. <laughs> This is not like a very devout man. And I mean, he's just playing to his base, which, you know, for, you know, that's his, I guess, prerogative as a politician to just play to the base. But like, I mean, it's just look bad. It looks stupid. And then when you find more out about it, that like no one knew he was coming and that it was like Hope Hicks's idea uh, as a way to try to make him look strong after everyone called him Bunker Boy on (laughs) on (laughs) Twitter. Yeah. I mean, and he, he hasn't even talked to any protesters. Like, Nixon w- had a famous, like, uh, political thing where he went out and talked to anti-war protesters. Trump hasn't talked to anyone. So, I mean, <laughs> Bunker Boy still lives, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Bunker Boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, economically, what do you think? Uh, how do you think Trump's doing and Republicans are doing reacting to this? I mean, now we have, like, a triple threat of like the coronavirus and then a potential coronavirus wave too, right? As these protests are going on. And we, we, I can tell you about the economy. Yeah. I mean, right off the bat, sorry to interrupt, but like right off the bat, you know what Trump's going to do economically because they've already announced that they're not going to report any of the GDP figures for the summer because they don't want it to look bad because everyone knows we're going to have a GDP contraction, right? So normally presidents like to brag, they're going to get 4% GDP growth. Trump claimed to be like upwards of like 5% or something. Um, And then he said maybe much more or something like that during the 2016 campaign. But like, I don't think it looks good for any incumbent president for the GDP to decline like 6% 
in like the quarter before the election. So, I mean, they're just going to hide it. They're going to lie about it and they're going to hide it. How does and, that work? How do you like, I guess he, he's in charge of collecting the data and having the report. But I mean, like, well, well, what the funny thing is people are going to know. People are going to know because it's just, I mean, there's people doing the economic data. What's not going to happen is that the probably he's going to have the Office of Management and Budget or something. He's just going to tell them not to put it anything out publicly so that there's no official numbers, right? So, I mean, we're, I mean, for all we know, uh, the next earning season uh, starting in July is going to be like a, a corporate, blood blast, uh, corporate bloodbath for a lot of companies. Now, there are going to be companies that do fine, right? Um, you know, Amazon, Walmart, Target, they're going to be fine. You're going to have even retailers that do a lot of business online are fine. But you have to realize that 40 million Americans out of work is going to have a huge economic impact, especially when a lot of them, their only income for a month has been that government check, right, of $1,200 and whatever state uh, welfare yeah. they can get. So, like, well, Do you think we're like secretly in a depression and we just don't know it yet? with such high unemployment that are literally only being backed up by these business uh, loans and uh, increased unemployment, which is gonna end in July. Um, so like what, what, you have like tens of millions of people who are not making money, but right now still have a lot of money because the government gave them so much extra in unemployment by tacking on $600 more than all of the state uh, averages that you get for unemployment. So you have all these unemployed people who have money because of the government. So what happens then when I guess we reopen and things don't bounce back or restaurants or bars and stuff can't reopen after, you know, like, or it, what happens if there's a second wave, you know, and now there's no money and uh, people have run out of all the stimulus money they got. And then there's a well, second wave. Like what, how, like, are we just seriously screwed right now and just not naming, like calling it out for what it is? Well, no, I think the economic, uh, 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 what's the term I'm looking for? The, uh, well, the, econ the GDP decrease is going to be largely mitigated by the government money. So, like, as a Democrat, I feel good that the government did the right thing and helped people regardless of the political, you know, because if, if Obama was president right now, we know the Republicans, if they had any power or say, would balk at giving anyone money because they would want Obama to look worse so they could blame it on Obama. That didn't happen because Democrats are responsible politicians and want to help the American people. So that is going to largely uh, protect the economy to a large degree. They've also stipulated that if, if you get, you know, all those business loans have a requirement that you don't fire your workers for like a year. So those jobs are still safe once we open. Now, a couple things I'll say is a depression, you know, it depends, right? Because... Well, hold on. Um, let me let me stop you real quick. Because oh, what ahead. happens then? What happens then when there is still a lot of people worried about a second wave and or a second wave materializes? So even though the economy opens, these businesses can't just have full staff waiters when like maybe one third or one fourth of the city is actually going out to eat, you know, at restaurants. So do those restaurants all close and then all those jobs get lost despite the best intentions of the bailout and that like they wouldn't fire any workers? Is it better that they just go totally bankrupt because they can't pay for anything and they're not making the, you know, like restaurants go out of business even in perfect times, perfect economy, perfect, yeah, uh, correct. you know, no, no massive pandemic ruining everything. So, I mean, like, what do you do for all those people? I mean, that's going to be millions, if not tens of millions of people, right? Well, I mean, it's. It really depends, and I think it'll be hard to say right now, but I think we can make some good guesses, is that, I mean, if 
states start opening up in June, like a lot of them have been saying, some states have already been opened up. And I think there's probably no political will at the national level to close everything down again and set up quarantines. So I think at some point, the economy is just going to go. It might be fits and starts, but I think a lot of the stimulus spending and especially the people whose jobs have been guaranteed by businesses getting those loans, they're going to pick back back up at normal. So the question is, is how much is the economy going to slow, right? How many, you know, Americans typically don't have a lot of savings. So right now there's a huge savings for people who are still getting their, their normal pay. Um, so, I mean, that's going to hurt the economy too. It's, it's a lot of little things impacting it, right? So people have less money. Um, now that's being benefited by the government just giving money. Uh, businesses are at threat of going under under current, current situations, but they're also benefited by um, the government loans, which the government's probably just going to forgive. So that was free money to keep them afloat, most likely, in a lot of cases. So I think the depression might be partially offset by the fact that people's jobs are guaranteed, they're still getting some money, and there's still a lot of spending in the economy because a lot of spending is based on things like food and material things that people need on a day to day or week monthly yeah, basis. Yeah, I think you I mean? might be extra rosy though because like what I mean, let's say Republican and like Mitch McConnell does not want to give any more money, right? So there's not going to be another bailout. And let's say the economy does not just jump right into full swing as you get a lot of people just staying at home anyway, like you said, kind of making the big retailers have all the money because people are ordering from like online or, you know, only spending money on grocery shopping and saving, which kind of hits the economy. So like then, then what happens when people don't have money and all of these businesses are not reopening because now they're just, you know, bankrupt. They're months in debt on their um, uh, like leases or whatever or rent or well, whatever. A lot of businesses, the there are a lot of businesses in a lot of states that are already partially opening. Right. And, and there are a lot of businesses, even restaurants that have stayed open and have continued to make probably far less money than they'd like or used to, but they're still making money, right? So I'm not saying there's not going to be a dep uh, uh, We're not really arguing on a depression. I'm just saying some points on why it might not be bad. We are going to have a GDP retraction quite a bit. Probably, you know, people are speculating upwards of 6 to 8%. That's probably no question. But the question is also, is that going to cause a recession or depression? I mean, it might cause a recession for sure, because a recession is just two quarters of negative GDP growth. Um, and I think, you know, this current quarter is, you know, without a doubt going to see that and probably the next quarter, too. But if people's jobs are still there and the quarantine's end and people can go back to work, well, then, you know, we might have this really weird kind of one off, two off quarter like weirdness from the quarantine and then things go back to normal. There's some good indications, right, that like there are still companies that are beating earnings. Like um, I think even like some of the um, like home construction companies have beat earnings estimates. Um, so there's still companies doing much better than the market anticipated. And the housing market, there are still homes being bought and sold. So there's there's not a lot of evidence of that being uh, you know, a huge risk causing a depression anytime soon either. Um, obviously, I'm not going to say housing uh, um, housing numbers are good, uh, but it's much better than anyone anticipated. So I think there's some good news, and I think the government, you know, you know, whether it's Steve Mnuchin working with you know the Democrats in the House, um, and you know, you got to give the Senate some credit too because they have to sign off on this stuff too. I mean, there's some good work being done that's going to help mitigate a lot of the problems. Well, what do you think about Mitch McConnell saying that he's not going to do any other 
stimulus funding and that <laughs> states that, should maybe yeah. just declare bankruptcy. No, I mean, it, that's a stupid thing to say a state should declare bankruptcy. But if we don't have a second, you know, really bad round of quarantine, then I think to some degree we can just kind of start picking up, especially since so many jobs are guaranteed. Um, I mean, I, I mean, there's I, guess I just don't know how many jo- how many jobs are guaranteed. Well, because, I don't know like, that number, know, and there are people who are straight out. You know, obviously, the unemployment numbers are people who are straight up out of work, but a lot of them have, you know, worked in jobs they could conceivably go back to. Like the restaurant industry, just wholesale got rid of tons of people. But there's no reason if the quarantine doesn't end this month, right, and things start opening up properly, there's no reason those companies probably aren't just going to hire most of the same people they already had working there, right? Right. If I had to make an assumption. I mean, it's so much harder to just find all these new workers rather than just, oh, wait, nothing happened to our workers. We just told them to go home. Let's all come back like it's normal. So, I mean, I'm not really arguing that we're not going to have economic problems. We're going to have a huge economic problem. I just don't think it's going to be a massive depression like some people worry. Okay. Well, I guess that's uh, it's hopeful. I mean, and, and you know, you got to remember, too, that like anyone who studies like economics and business stuff, I mean, you know, there's trends you follow and there's like there's good information. But I mean, who really knows what's going to happen? Right. I mean, there's a huge risk with uh, I've been reading about like auto loans, the, the amount of people who've been, you know, delinquent on auto loan payments um, is huge. Right. Because if you lose your job and you have uh, 30,000, 20,000, 15,000, whatever car. Uh, you're not going to make those payments because you're using your 1200 government check to just feed your family, right? And a lot of people, you know, who desperately need that government money, unfortunately, don't have a lot of savings, right? Um, a lot of that is the income inequality in this country and, and, and like the low minimum wages in a ton of states. I mean, there are a lot of problems and it's going to hurt the economy, but like, I don't see the economy like ending or anything. Either way, I mean, the important thing is we won't even know properly because the uh, Trump administration is going to hide this data right before the election because they don't want to look bad. Right. Uh, so how how will they hide that? Will there be econ- like economists, you know, having their own estimates and then well, no, that's that the kind funny of join thing. into the commentary? Well, that's the funny thing, because like even though the government doesn't put out official numbers like there are still analysts and market watchers who get paid money to look at this stuff and like you know imagine you have like the july earning july and august earning season come up for all these companies for this quarter right this past quarter when they announce um like is it gonna be a surprise when you know, 60% of the companies in the S&P 500 and, you know, most of the companies in the Dow Jones have bad numbers, like, and then the Trump administration says, nope, everything's fine. Like, do you think people are going to believe that? You know what I mean? Like, if we have a terrible quarter and job, uh, not sorry, not job numbers, but um, uh, uh, earnings reports from all these companies from this current quarter when everyone's at quarantine, like, you know, people's, 401ks and retirement funds are going to go down when you know thousands of companies have no earnings for this last quarter or much worse than you know the street thought like just because amazon's doing good well or doing well and a couple you know apple and microsoft which is propping up the s&p 500 and the dow jones you're still gonna have people's 401ks go down so like you can't you can lie to people in the the press but you can't lie to people when they look at their you know they go online and check their retirement fund so that's going to look, they're just not going to be able to hide it, right? And 
And, you know, in three months from now, if we still have 25 million people unemployed, uh, you're not going to be able to hide that fact either because there's states doing the data, getting the data just from the checks they're giving out with their welfare, right? And I want to point this out. It's funny because, like, you know, Trump's going to be, you know for a fact, Trump's going to be lying about the economic numbers, which is funny because it reminds me of the 2016 election when in 2015 and 2016, Trump accused Obama of lying of all the numbers that the OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, put out. Remember, he famously said something like that the unemployment rate was like at 8% or something at one time. And then Trump had said, I have people telling me it's upwards of 25%. It's like, no, no. The OMB was not wrong by like 16% amount of people. (laughs) Plus, like if 25% of people were out of work, that's like the height of the Great Depression. So like in 2015... (laughs) <laughs> you know, after after, you know, several years of month after month of job growth was were we still at 25 percent unemployment when like the maximum what was the maximum in 2009? When did it hit like 10 percent, 11 percent? So like, I mean, it's just funny. I only bring this up because it's gonna be so funny when Trump lies about these numbers when he accused Tr- uh, Obama of doing that all throughout 2015 and 2016. Yeah, I think you were saying it earlier that Joe Biden should just go through and uh, have some staffer pick out like every day one Trump tweet that kind of yeah. is the complete opposite of what he's embodying now and just post that to troll him. And I think that would be kind of funny because there's a tweet on everything. Oh, yeah. You know, like there's all the Ferguson riots, all of it. Like you could have a field day just off his Ferguson tweets at Obama, <laughs> you know, over the riots going on now for him. Yeah, and, and, and I was laughing about that to myself because, like, imagine Fox News. If, if like, Biden on his personal Twitter account just tweeted China with a bunch of exclamation points and no follow-up, like, right. won't Fox News spend 16 hours for three days in a row saying, this is so unpresidential. Biden's and not taking Biden's this job seriously. And Biden's lost his marbles and he's lost yeah. his brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I also can't wait for, like, if Biden were to win in 2021... How many days does it take for Sean Hannity to say this is a this is Biden's coronavirus fiasco? You know what I mean? This is oh Biden's, yeah for sure. Uh, this is Biden's debt. This is all on Biden. How do we how do we have twenty eight trillion dollars of debt? You know? <laughs> yeah right. Yeah. What else is going on? What else is new with you? Um, not too much. Just you been uh, thinking about anything lately? Well. <laughs> I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about history with just like, I've been reading this book by George Kennan, if you're familiar with him. Yeah. So for the audience, George Kennan's a a famous cold warrior, you could say. He uh, wrote a famous article that spelled out the um, uh, containment policy against the Soviet Union. Um, And he wrote this famous article called like... uh, like the X paper or something. I forget what it's called, but um, very famous, talked about containment, said that if we just surround the Soviet Union with allies and military bases, they'll just implode. Um, Famously, he did not recommend going to war in a bunch of countries to, uh, you know, keep other countries from going communist. He just predicted that it would just kind of collapse on its own. But it's just funny because I'm reading about like the relationship with the Soviet Union and the West, like from 1917 to to basically 1945 and it's just it's little things leaders do that like the people have no control over whatsoever just makes history uh happen a lot right the little policies you don't think are going to be important end up being so important and then it makes me think of trump's response to coronavirus and the you know even the 2016 election right like how much of 
the badness that we've seen in 2020 is simply because a few thousand voters in a few counties in a few states in 2016 voted for Trump rather than Hillary. Right. Um, but yeah, just something to think about. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, I was thinking, what do you think about Trump's late, like the Trump administration's latest push to kind of, uh, change the topic of conversation on the administration's coronavirus response by saying that Trump believes like, Oh, all of this should be up to the States. And that we should have kind of like a, uh, like a, I don't know, like a federationist kind of like approach where like all the different states kind of do their own thing. And like, to me, it just seems so cynical. Like we're so stupid. Like you, he's really just like, they're shifting the strategy based on their failures one at a time. And then they're well, changing. What's we that? Know for a fa- we know for a fact that Trump's just doing that because he doesn't want right. to do anything because then he can't be blamed for it. Yeah. I mean, like, like imagine you're president and you have to do something about coronavirus and you're you're so afraid of being made fun of or looking bad that you just say, as president of the United States, people brag most powerful job in the world and the biggest responsibility that a person probably on Earth can have. You know, that's the things we say about our own government and the presidency. And then you have a person elected by the people to that job. And he just says, this ain't my problem. I don't want to be blamed for this. And then tell someone else they need to do it so that he can blame them if it doesn't go well. And I say this because, like, you know, if Trump were to delegate to the states and let's say every state, every state governor uh, behaved and worked in a way that solved coronavirus in the best possible way. Do you think Trump would take credit? Yes. The answer is absolutely yes. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> he absolutely would take all the credit. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just weird that we have a president who, I mean, normally the president is like, you know, they call him the leader of the free world. Now, normally that means something, uh, but Trump doesn't take that leader. He wants to be called the leader of the world, but he doesn't want the responsibility or the work, right? Um, so, I mean, it's just sad. Yeah, I really hope the Bunker Boy thing sticks because just the, like the sight of uh, like all the lights being turned off in the White House as if like that would make the protesters go away or something. Um, well, it doesn't even make sense anyway because like, has that ever even been done? Like, I don't even think so. And, and there are lights to show like, I mean, the White House is a national monument, right? Like, would you right. just like, I mean, <laughs> turn the lights on like the Washington Memorial. <laughs> yeah, right. Or like the Congress or the building. Like or how many? Yeah, people take pictures of the Congress building from across the town just because you can see it, and they're like, you see all those iconic photos of like the Washington Monument, the Lincoln Memorial, or the Congress building at night, right? And then you know, here's the White House, one of the most iconic, important buildings in the history of, of civilization, and he turns off the lights. Like, yeah. to some degree, it's almost annoying because, like, it's the White House isn't about Trump. Like, that's the people's building, if you think about it, right? If you take our democracy and the Constitution as a government of the people by the people, like, that's if our you take building. take it at its word. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> our that's our building, and he just turned off the lights. Like, that doesn't even make any sense to me. Right. That's one thing that, I mean... I guess Republicans don't really get, but Trump specifically doesn't get, is that like, you're the president, you're like, it's of the people, by the people, for the people, this is our government. Like the money that you want to give 
to uh, corporations and not report to like Congress or anybody like how much each company got. Like that's our money. We have like, you know, the whole mechanism of which our money goes to other people should be something very transparent. It's all our money, our government, our White House, you know, our uh, um, offices, you know, like the office of the presidency is ours, you know. He happens to be the person that we have temporarily assigned to do that job, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, this, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's so funny because, like, on the one... What, what do you think about this idea? So, like, people always talk about, like, they call Trump a dictator. But in a way, it's kind of funny because, like, in, in the couple of ways that the president or any elected leader in a democracy really could take complete power... Um, is a national emergency, right? And COVID is certainly, by all means, and other countries have treated it as such, as like a national emergency. Like, um, you know, you think of the Roman Empire, right? In, in times of war, national emergency, they'd give one person dictatorial powers, and they would just hope that he would, you know, they expected he would just give up that power once the emergency was over. Uh, and Trump has a, na- if he was really a dictator, um, you know, COVID would have been a great opportunity to try to get more power for the presidency, something other presidents have done in the past, right? Like in the in the 40s, the 30s, the 20s, like the amount of power the president had was way less than it has been since like the 1960s. So it's interesting that like if it like if Trump's really a, wants a wannabe dictator, it just shows how dumb he is because the one opportunity he had to actually get power, he said, nope, I want states to do this. I don't want to be blamed for it, you know? What do you think of that? Yeah, I guess in a way, I think dictators, they're always benefited more. Um, I think if you look at Mussolini and Hitler and some of the other like major dictators who are so famous, you know, a lot of them did, were, they were just kind of like radical talkers and they were able to convince people to do things. Like Trump is not smart, but Bill Barr is smart, right? Trump mm-hmm. is an idiot and just says things and he has certain goals or retributions or you know, like uh, ideas of vengeance that then Bill Barr, who is actually smart, can go interpret what Trump wants to please him. And then like it's the same thing with Hitler. Like I think, you know, I don't think Hitler really was like on a granular level doing all the details of the concentration camps and who goes what and who dies when. But it's just he has all these underlings who in, can interpret his radicalism and actually be inspired by it and actually ratify the radical kind of like dictatorship more than the actual dictator like firebrand ever could be. What do you well, think I read about this, that? I read this hilarious thing about Hillary. Uh, Hillary. <laughs> I mean, Hitler um, the other day about um, how Trump... Uh, <laughs> mixing up everything. But uh, Hitler was apparently like... I was reading this thing that this German guy who had worked in the German government during World War II, you know, some of the some of the people were saying that Hitler was the world's worst person to work for because he was really lazy apparently. He wouldn't get up until like noon or two PM some days. And he used to love spending all night just um um talking to people over dinner and then you know talking about stories of the early days of the Nazi party and that like Trump or God damn uh, Hitler hated details. He hated m- purposely managing anything. And right, that's just, exactly like, my point. Trump is yeah. like, is that to a T? He doesn't read anything. Like, I mean, like, think about all the things like Stephen Miller and uh, some of the more like hardline uh, people that have real jobs get to do just because Trump yeah. doesn't read anything. 
And anything mm -hmm. you compile and send to him for his signature, he's not going to read. Any oh, idea you it, have yeah. or any policy that you use your like agency or or uh, like bureaucratic bureaucratic uh, like position to do like Trump is not an overbearing person. You know, like I said, he's like a firebrand who basically just says dumb stuff and then other people interpret it how they want based on their own motivations. And you actually get a you know, like a lot of the uh, the travel ban and some of the brutality with like policing and uh, ICE and immigration stuff, you know, Trump's mm -hmm. not literally himself saying all these details he wants to happen. There's just like already people that are able to now act without any inhibitions, like they're more sociopathic motivations. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day about like the nuclear policy and they were talking about and, and, and this is just always important to remember, like as, if you think Trump is bad, just remember that like he's in charge of nuclear weapons and that there's someone who follows him with a briefcase where he can put a code into and then, you know, it determines who gets nuked, <laughs> um, which is crazy to think about. And then you just remember that with the fact that like uh, I there were anonymous reports at the beginning of his presidency that Trump had asked not once or twice, but like something like three times why he couldn't use nukes in a war if he wanted to. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's not that you can't use them because America can nuke another country. It's that you would never want to. And why would you? Uh, unless it was absolutely necessary, right? Um, but... Yeah, I mean, so when you think about, I mean, it's so funny to think about Trump sitting there not reading anything. And it's really nice as a Democrat that, you know, or, or certainly someone who cares about the environment that Trump doesn't work, you know, too hard at anything. That's a good thing, right? But then you remember the other things that he is responsible for. And it's almost kind of horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, just look, it's so dumb the way like Trump, the only thing he really did with uh, coronavirus was to actually make things worse. The way he told states to like not deal up on their own, but then he gets the federal government into like entering these bidding wars with the states for like external foreign um, like avenues to getting the medical supplies that they need. Mm -hmm. So that you actually have the federal government like really hurting entire states. I mean, even to the point where like Maryland's governor, right? Like they had a shipment of medical supplies and he had the state guard guard it with like live weapons and ammunition, you know, ready to like just prevent the federal they were government hiding from the coming in. The federal and, yeah. Too. So, yeah. So the, the, and it, I mean, that really goes down. There's, it's interesting too. Like that's something Jared Kushner has really taken it upon himself to like work on and make worse. And that's something that actually Tucker Carlson has been remarking of all people like on Fox News. He is kind of like the uh, he's kind of like a borderline white supremacist, but at least he's kind of like a working class <laughs> ideological uh, kind of like asshole propagandist. But he's been saying that like Jared Kushner just hates the average Trump voter. And it's kind of apparent with everything Jared does, because obviously Jared is kind of like a slumlord. Well, all he really knows is like a real estate company that's like just as shady as the Trump organization is. Like his, his parents have been in legal trouble. Um, he's got massive debts from terrible business deals, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But that, like with this administration, I mean, like I just did it. 
It's just there's so many things going on. You just get into the you go from one tangent to the next because there's so many things that are incompetent or blatantly corrupt that you can't just talk about one thing without like derailing into like, well, this is also bad and this and that, you know. Well, yeah, there's like on a monthly basis more scandal than the typical president has in four years, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, it's amazing. Like pretty much for like the last three years, like pick any moment. If you if you pick any date and you look at the scandals that are going on that day and then you go backwards two weeks and it's like literally just <laughs> like a month or a year has passed. You know, so many yeah. scandals happen so regularly that just a scandal from last friday would probably feel like it was three weeks ago right now you know yeah uh, what is it tuesday so like five days ago probably feels like five weeks ago at this point mm -hmm. especially yeah. now with these protests i mean everything is just kind of you know time is right uh is relative and i clearly having a competent president makes uh <laughs> time <laughs> time go by slower and having a wildly incompetent president makes uh time go way faster Oh, for sure. Um, so I guess another big question is like, uh, what do you think happens in 2020 if uh, Biden wins by a lot? <laughs> what do you think? What do you think Trump? Um, Trump, I don't. He's gonna go onto like One America or Fox News, whoever pays him more, and turn it into Trump News Network. Like no, at the very least, he'll gonna, get a television show. Do you think Republicans are going to try to cry foul that there was too many mail-in or uh, ballots and the voting? Because I read something that's me could be interesting is if COVID still around and a lot of people get in uh, uh, mail home uh, votes and ballots and then sh uh, mail them in that it might actually take considerably longer to actually get the vote count. And then like based on voting demographics, uh, you know, we might not know who wins um, for days afterwards. So, I mean, what's that going to be like? I'm sure like both sides are going to claim victory, right? What do you think happens after that? That's a scary thought. I don't know. I mean, of course, Republicans are going to claim fraud and uh, lie about everything. Trump obviously is using the bully pulpit of the presidency to kind of, you know, already set the tone and like he's already accusing everybody of fraud and illegal votes right now. <laughs> he, he accused the, an election he won after losing of being rigged, you know? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, so what, yeah, what yeah. did he claim? He lost by three million votes. So then he came out and said there were three million illegal votes cast in California, and it's like <laughs> what? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's funny. This it reminds me of like twenty. It reminds me of twenty twelve. I was working with some people who were conspiracy theorists, very right wing. Um, one guy famously shot himself in the leg while showing his girlfriend a gun, which is just funny. And, you know, while that shouldn't necessarily tell you something about him, I'm sure it does. Um, <laughs> but he believed that uh, the 2012 election was rigged and that there was evidence that Trump bust in somewhere upwards of 12 million Mexicans. You mean Obama bust in? Yeah, yeah. Obama bust okay. in allegedly uh, 12 million or something Mexicans from Mexico who then voted and then when I asked him, well, if 12 million extra people voted in one state, it wouldn't have changed the election. And then he said, no, they were all over the place. And I said, so let me get this straight. Obama couldn't get 3 million people to sign up for subsidized health care that was mostly paid for by the government. That was a failure. But somehow he succeeded in getting 12 million Mexicans to take a bus, enter the country illegally, vote illegally, and then make it back to Mexico or something. And he said, yeah, that, that happened. <laughs> it's like, what on earth? 
That's like, ludicrous because even... I mean, like you'd have to you could go through. It's like did that guy actually look at any of the voter totals and see that like in any cities that they had more voters, <laughs> they had more votes than people lived in the city by a margin of like hundreds or thousands, like he's alleging. Well, first off, how many people vote in America? Like, <laughs> you know, 12 million people would have been an astronomically large amount of American voters since so few people vote anyway. Right. Yeah, I mean, that would I mean, be like, what, 90 percent, 90, 103 percent total voters if 12 million people extra voted. <laughs> you know, I mean, what is a normal election? Like 68 percent of people, 70 percent of people vote or something, if that yeah, but twelve million extra people would probably push that up a, a couple percentage points at least. But yeah, I mean, it's like, what do you what do you do with those people? I don't know. Yeah, we can have a discussion on partisanship some other time because <laughs> that that's a depressing conversation. Anyway, yeah. we're coming up on an hour. Any other uh, closing thoughts? Any last moment thoughts? Um. <laughs> well. Like, just keep uh, keep the complaints against p- police brutality in your mind. And as you look on social media, keep, you know, while stuff is still going on, keep an eye out for forgeries. If you see something ridiculous, check it up on Snopes. I was sharing in a private, you know, group chat this thing of this alleged FBI agent who had, who had got arrested by the police wrongfully. And then I looked it up on Snopes and it wasn't an FBI agent and it happened in 2019, not 2020. So like when you see something on the internet, don't believe it, look it up and uh, you know, don't let anything distract you from the fact that there is some police brutality in this country and it needs to be addressed. Even if not all cops are bad. And even though uh, not all protesters are looters. So be uh, right be moderate in your political thinking and open-minded to what be all moderate. Are that's a good slogan yeah all right everybody thanks for listening to brain milk podcast i'm dash mcintyre and i'm adrian pope and enjoy the guitar solo mm-hmm.